Broadcasting from behind the Second Amendment Iron Curtain in the shadows of the New York City skyline, this is Gun For Hire Radio, the voice of one million New Jersey gun owners, with your hosts, Sandy Berardi and Master Firearms Trainer, Anthony Calandra. Live from the land that freedom forgot, the most listened to Second Amendment broadcast in the nation. Welcome to it. Hello, hello, hello. So listen, this is show 644. We have a very special guest that was very hard to schedule. I'm going to introduce in a minute. But first, in the past three days, we've been getting hammered with questions at Gun For Hire, the same question over and over again. So I want to answer this question today for everybody out there. The answer is 20. Everybody (laughs) wants to know the answer is 20, okay? And the question I've been getting is, how many gold bars can we fit in a gun-for-hire locker? (laughs) And the correct answer is 20, because that's how many pumpkin-head Senator Menendez had in his locker here. Nice. Okay? Very good. Just so you know, we caught him with uh, gold bars, $485,000 in cash hidden in clothing all around his house, a brand-new Mercedes-Benz, (laughs) fingerprints and DNA of a mob guy, mob builder in New Jersey, and an Egyptian guy and his uh, and his drivers and bodyguards. All their fingerprints and DNA. That Pumpkinhead got the bribery envelope, Sandy, and just put them in his senatorial jackets in his closet without reopening the envelopes or anything with fingerprints and DNA on them. So yesterday, he made a statement that he will not be resigning. This is a witch hunt because he is a Latino senator. I get that. But see, this is our fault because in 2015, when he was indicted with the other charges, Mm -hmm. the system let him go. So you empowered him to become even more corrupt than he was. Absolutely. He, so he you, thought he was bulletproof, which yes, he you, pretty much You is. reap what you sow. Now, Murphy called for him to resign, but it's not because he's guilty, because they're all guilty of doing this on of both course. sides of the aisle. It's because Murphy wants to appoint the first female minority senator in the state of New Jersey, because it's all about identity politics. So he's chomping at the bit for that. So we'll see how this goes. It's interesting because Gun for Hire Radio has been calling Pumpkinhead Menendez corrupt for 15 years on this show. Yeah, pretty much 15 years. So check this out. I'm in New Jersey. Sandy's in Alabama. And our guest today is in Arizona at the Gun Rights Policy Conference where they're speaking today because our guest is none other than 2 a attorney extraordinaire daniel schmutter from the offices of hartman and winicky in ridgewood new jersey so without further ado dan from arizona introduce yourself and say hello uh morning guys boy it's hot here morning yeah it is arizona what city are like you that. in dan phoenix oh phoenix well phoenix is a pretty good city if you get a chance uh go to the cabela's in phoenix it's huge phoenix? Phoenix, no, Phoenix is a great city. You know, I've, yeah. I've been here a number of times. Yeah, no, Phoenix, uh, Phoenix is great. Arizona is great. Um, you know, so it's. Uh, <clears throat> I highly recommend it. Yeah. What's I was the in weather Scottsdale like out there today? Last Thanksgiving. What's the yeah? What's the weather? Uh, it's just hot. <laughs> ah, it's hot. So before before I unleash Dan. Because uh, he has about five topics to discuss, because it's hard to coordinate this, and we've been waiting for for weeks to talk to him. 
A uh, couple of things. I have tons of letters and emails and learning, but that's all going to take a back seat. I could roll it over into next week's show because I want Dan to talk about this, uh, the new training initiative that came out that was brokered between ANGRPC and the AG's office. Uh, we're just going to touch on the 10-round uh, mag case in California, Victory, our carry case, our 10-round mag case, and our evil features case. So, Dan, basically the show is all yours. I'm going to interrupt uh, where I think I need to cover something. Oh, the other good news we have is uh, Joe Biden appointed, 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 appointed Kamala Harris as the gun czar. She's also the immigration czar where four million illegals have come in across the border since he appointed her that. So now she's going to be the gun control czar as well, which means we really have nothing to worry about. This weekend, uh, Biden was speaking publicly and he repeated the same story over and over again. One of his staffers came out and nudged him like a like a jukebox. And then he started speaking normally again. Move, move along. Nothing to see here. Move along. Nothing to see here. So without further ado, Dan, start out with this whole AG thing that I know you and Evan and Scott have been working on nonstop. And you've had some people that might have been busting your chops religiously every hour on the hour uh, for like 20 hours a day. <clears throat> Me. Uh, so please let everybody know what's going on and where we stand. Hit it. So. No, no further ado. I mean, I was looking forward to some. some ado. No ado. Some ado. No, yeah, you're no out. Ado? No. Okay. Uh, that's fine. I'll have to get my ado somewhere else. Um, so, hey, guys, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, always thanks appreciate it. Um, appreciate having you. So, the, we, you know, we've, uh, we, we, th this took a while and we had to sit on this and it was, uh, it was very, very painful. Very painful to sit on this for, for you know, for a, a period of time, uh, because you know it was in the works and we we knew what was happening, but we couldn't say anything. Um, and so, as you know, the 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 law that we have been litigating against um, regarding carry came out in December of 2022, and one of the provisions uh, required that no later than July 1st, the uh, superintendent of state police was to uh, prepare and, and release uh, a training protocol and a qualification protocol uh, for the uh, for uh, obtaining a carry permit. And of course, you know, until the until the superintendent released what that what that requirement was, you can't litigate over something that doesn't exist yet. Uh, it would it would it wouldn't be a ripe claim, and so you know I'm sure a lot of people speculated as to what it was going to look like, uh, but you know we had to wait until July to see what was going to happen. Now it turns out they were late, but um, it was supposed to, it was due July 1st. It came out July 18th, um, and what they released was wholly unacceptable from the perspective of the exercise of a of a constitutional right. And I want to I guess I want to I want to address one issue uh, that seems to be. Um, Sort of a little bit, a little bit missed when when people you know argue over well, is this product is this requirement too much, too little, too this, too that. So, the uh, I, I'm sure I'm sure most of your listeners recognize this, but it, it seems to be missed in the in the, the the sort of finer points of this of this conversation. The 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 qualification requirement is a roadblock in the way of the exercise of a fundamental constitutional right. And one of the things that people are arguing over is, you know, some people said, oh, the, the, the uh, HQC2 modified protocol, which is what the what the uh, superintendent released in, in July, you know, it's no big deal. You should be able to do it. You know, I can do it. I didn't, I didn't have a hard time. You know, and I'm sure I have no doubt that some people can do it. I'm sure 
sure that some people can do it easily. Um, but for plenty of people, it's quite a substantial obstacle. And when you think about this, these kinds of things, these requirements for, uh, for getting a permit, you have to understand it in terms of it is, a, it is an obstacle in the way of exercising a fundamental constitutional right. And so it's not about what sort of training would you like to have? What sort of training would be nice to have? What would be the best kind of training that you can have if you want people to be effective um, as citizen citizens carrying concealed handguns? The question is, what is constitutionally proper to uh, and, and legitimate to prevent someone from exercising a fundamental constitutional right if they don't or can't do it. And that's really the perspective you have to look at it from. And so when we, when, and as, as your listeners know, and Anthony, of course, you know this uh, uh, as well as anybody, um, this is a, this is a police, this was a police training standard. You know, the HQC2 yeah. modified was basically uh, virtually identical to HQC2, uh, which was, uh, which is the retired police officer protocol. And it's almost identical to HQC1 with very, very minor differences, which is the, which is the active uh, uh, police officer uh, qualification protocol. And so if you're going to, if you're going to look at a citizen, a constitutional rights of citizens to, um, to uh, carry handguns to, to protect themselves and their loved ones, um, you have to, you can't look at it as if they are police officers because they are not. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the requirements that you want police to have um, who have a, a mission utterly and totally different than, uh, than what your typical citizen uh, has when they go about their daily lives, you're going to get it wrong. The, you know, police have a mission. Uh, police, the, the job of the police to put themselves in harm's way and to engage bad guys for the protection of the public. And the, 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 the skills and minimum standards that you want to apply to your police forces um, ha- it reflects that mission. And it reflects the, the nature of what your, what your police officers have to be able to do and, and what their skill, skill level and experience and training has to be. That's just not, that's not citizen carry Um, and so what we recognized immediately was that the they did not uh consider well okay i mean you can you can describe various motivations i'm not going to get into the motivations uh of why things were done the way they were done my my opinion uh, i think the motivations in my opinion were they were just lazy and they just copied off the other qual form rather than invent their own i don't think it was malicious i think it was just well let's use this Let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's use this. But Time that's my, just my opinion. Yeah, that's my yeah, opinion. And, and, Go ahead, Dan. And, 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 I'm, and I'm not here to read people's minds. I mean, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it, it is when you looked at, the, when you looked at the, um, the standard that came out in July, you, you see a standard that does not reflect um, uh, the core competency that you want to have of the, the, the sort of basic core competency uh, standards that you want to have of, uh, of citizens that are caring. Uh, it, reflect, it reflects the, the values and, and needs of a professional police force. And so it's inappropriate. Um, and, and again, it's inappropriate not because, gee, wouldn't it be nice if people carrying with permits could do these things? It's inappropriate because it is a obstacle to the exercise of a fundamental constitutional right and that's the that's the way that's the way it has to be understood and so 
now I'll just give a little uh, a procedural just a procedural twist here so people understand I think most of your listeners saw understood the what what happened uh, you know at the time back in July but I'll just sort of, sort of explain it for the folks that either didn't see it or didn't quite understand uh, how things were proceeding so uh, the the and this is the Coons and Siegel case of course we're talking about which is uh, two consolidated cases. Um, Coons versus Platkin and Siegel versus Platkin. As your listeners will recall, Coons versus Platkin, uh, Coons and Siegel are both challenges to the the carry the you know anti-Bruin carry law that was uh, passed uh, in December of 2022. Uh, Coons is the uh, the FPC case. Uh, Siegel is our case uh, that's uh, being uh, um, advanced by NGRPC and NRA, and. And the the uh, and as as your listeners know, they're they're consolidated t- t- uh, together. And right now, uh, uh, they are uh, on appeal at the Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. Um, as your listeners know, we got a wonderful result from the district judge, um, and uh, the state has appealed. Um, in the Siegel case, we have cross appealed some of the uh, some of the rulings. Uh, that we thought should have been uh, we should have that should have been a little bit broader or a little bit different, <clears throat> and excuse me, and that's at the Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit uh, right now. An oral argument will be held uh, on October twenty fifth. Why do I bring Why do I bring that up? Well, I bring that up because um, shortly after the uh, appeal was the notice of appeal was filed, the district judge Judge Bum uh, entered an order administratively terminating the case in the district court and what that means and i think we've talked about this before well basically the the judge basically just put the case on the shelf for the time being it it's it's like a stay but it's not actually a stay it just simply takes the case off the calendar um uh temporarily um and uh, what basically the court said was look you guys are on appeal at the third circuit fine when you're done there come back here if somebody wants to reopen the case to keep it going you'll write a letter mm-hmm. and you'll you'll let me know um and it's a very a very simple and efficient procedure um and what it basically does is it allows the court to just take it off the calendar for the time being if people want to come back and reinstate the case it's a very very simple process now however so this 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 administrative termination order had a very odd twist to it because the way it read was not uh, typically they say the case is administratively terminated any party who wants to reinstate it submit a letter to the court and and and, that, and it's the easiest thing in the world you write a letter saying you know dear judge so and so please you know remove the, re- return the case to the active calendar and boom it gets returned to the active calendar but mm-hmm. but this order was worded uh, uh, very specifically it said um, any party can can uh, submit a letter to return the case to the active calendar after the appeal is is complete so here we are in july we 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 need to get back into court to um to we wanted to assert claims against this uh, against this uh, new protocol and we weren't sure whether we had the right to simply submit a letter so what we did is because the, the appeal was still pending so what we decided to do was submit a motion normally you don't submit a motion in those kinds of situations but we decided to submit a motion and and what the motion did is it accomplished two things number one it it eliminated any uncertainty as to whether we were using the right procedure but number two it allowed us to lay out in in, in great specificity, exactly what we thought was wrong with the new qualification protocol, the HQC2 modified that the superintendent of state police had released. And so we filed that motion, I think within a day or two after the, um, 
after the uh, new qualification was released, we asked the judge to reopen the case so that we could immediately assert new claims. We would amend our complaint. We would assert new claims. We would seek immediately seek emergent relief, a temporary restraining order, and or a preliminary injunction. We filed that, and within two and a half hours, the judge had reopened the case to let us do Love it. her. Um, now, so I guess that so the next so the next step is okay. Now what? Now the case is reopened. We're the, you know the 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 field is wide open for us to um, uh, amend, submit new motions, do all kinds of stuff. Well, so uh, so at that point we're getting ready to you know to 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 rev the engine, and Scott Bach, executive director of ANGRPC, decides you know let's make a phone call. Before we get, you know, before we start filing papers, before we start getting crazy, let's make a phone call. Let's talk to the Attorney General's office and see if there's a conversation to be had here. And sure enough, there was a conversation to be had. And between July and uh, I guess it was last Sunday, um, we have been we were actively engaged in discussions uh, about this very thing. And you know, the the. the the um, your your listeners uh, mostly I'm sure have, have looked at the new protocol. They've seen what the new requirements are. I know there's been a lot of discussion in the last week um, regarding uh, this this C care protocol. Uh, you know, ti- as they say, timing is everything. Yeah. Uh, it came out on Sunday last Sunday, and mm-hmm. so of course we you know we could we didn't have a chance to talk about it in last week's show. Um, so there's been a week of discussion and conversation and debate over this uh, since it came out but uh, but the you know the we we uh, we we explained our view on on the problems with the the HQC2 modified as a standard for non-police um, and you know, as as you saw, there are there are various themes, right? There are there's the 25 yard distance, which was a big problem. You know, um, the as as people know, 25 yards is a is a controversial self defense distance. It doesn't mean you can never defend yourself at 25 yards, but you can bet that if you're in a self defense situation and you're at 20 you're 25 yards away from the bad guy the 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 county prosecutor is going to take a good long look at that uh and mm-hmm. very likely take the position that your your self-defense shooting was not valid self-defense under the law it doesn't mean it wasn't it just means that you know you there's a good chance you're going to get jacked up if you try if you if you do that and so and look every situation is different every self-defense situation is different uh but um but you know it's 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 really odd and really problematic um, for the state and on the one hand to say you can't exercise your fundamental constitutional right to bear arms unless you can qualify at 25 yards and then with everybody knowing that if you do try to defend yourself at 25 yards there, there's going to be you're going to probably have to defend yourself against a criminal charge um, you know and doesn't mean you're going to be convicted but it's it's a tough situation so you know that 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 was one of the things that we talked about where it's it is uh, it is very it's very problematic to force people to do that you know um, um, just to be able to defend themselves so that was that was very important um, and then you know when you when you look at there's a reason why the 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 a uh, a protocol based upon that's derived from police training requirements is going to be problematic. You know look at look at what you, people were being required to do: uh, one-handed shooting, off-handed shooting, kneeling, you know behind cover, you know timed fire. 
I, I want my police officers to be able to do that stuff. I want my police department to be able to do, execute those move, those maneuvers and those techniques excellently. And I'm very glad that our police can and have to do those things. But, you know, they are fundamentally tactical type, uh, uh, a tactical type of training. And, and of course, you know, lots of people love to have, love to engage in tactical training. Uh, you know, Anthony at Gun for Hire, you, you offer all sorts of really excellent courses on, on, uh, on uh, um, handgun and uh, rifle and shotgun handling and technique. Uh, but, you know, as, as I said before, if you're going to derive a citizen's standard to exercise a constitutional right in order to simply exercise that right, you're, you're, you're looking in the wrong direction. And so it was, it was our focus, we focused in our conversations with the Attorney General's office on these problematic tactical requirements. And, and the message, uh, our message was basically that if there's going to be a, a standard, some requirement, some minimum requirement, it should focus on core competency, not tactical uh, capabilities. And so that if you look at um, the changes that were ultimately made, and this was, you know, this was a conversation over, over time. Um, you know, I mean, uh, we, uh, like I said, we started the conversation end of July and we ended up with the uh, new standard being released at the end of September. So we're mid-September. So um, e- in each of the situations, you, you end up removing the tactical component and keeping the basic core competency component. Uh, uh, you know, so there's no time to fire anymore. There's no kneeling behind cover. There's no uh, one-handed, we off-handed can, yeah. shooting. Yeah, no, no, we can't shooting. No, you know, uh, the 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 sort of retention, that sort of uh, that police retention drill, um, is gone. Uh, things like that, and and so it 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 really makes it vastly more reasonable um, when you're looking at what it is that that non-law enforcement individuals can expect on the street uh, if they find themselves in a self-defense situation. Um, and the conversation, you know, we, we went back and forth. It was a very, it was a very productive conversation. I mean, the, 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 you know, there were, there were, there was, there was pushback, there was negotiation, there was a lot of analysis and reasoning as to why certain things were objectionable and certain things, uh, you know, made more sense. Um, it was a very, very good conversation. I mean, you know, as I said, you know, they, they didn't just—they didn't just give us stuff. They really wanted to know why we objected to certain things and what we thought was inappropriate about various aspects of of the requirements that that were in place. And so, it, you know, and that's where you know, and that's where um, that's where uh, uh, Scott came in. That's where Evan came in. You know, Anthony, you and I spoke as well. So, you know, give yourself credit as well because you contributed to the conversation in important ways as well. And, then, and I thank you for that. Um, you know, it, it's it's when you if you're going to you know having having assistance of the of the community of people who know how this stuff works trainers like you people like evan you know stuff like that uh, it is helpful to to uh convey what what the, the situation looks like that's that's objectionable and then what the situation should should look like if it um eliminates 
what seems to be just a, a blatant roadblock in the way of the exercise of a fundamental right. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, uh, September, I guess it was uh, September 18th, September 17th, sorry, Sunday finally got released and uh, we were able to, uh, we were able to, you know, let people know, uh, you know, a bit of the story. And obviously we're giving a little bit more of the story now, but, uh, you yeah. know, we're very, we're very <clears throat> glad, we're very pleased that we were able to, able to get that done. You know, I, I've said this many times on your show, Anthony, and you know, your listeners have heard this over and over again. Most things don't get done in a courtroom. Um, you know, when we talked about this stuff, um, even at the beginning of the Siegel case, um, so much there was, you know, if you remember when the when the bill was first making its way through the legislature and it was in committee, um, there was a, there was so much work that was done before the bill got even got uh, to the to the uh, uh, to the assembly and the Senate floors for voting much less to the governor's desk, so much conversation to clean up really terrible, sloppy aspects of that bill, so much discussion behind the scenes even before a final bill was ready for for voting and for signature. You know the the retention strap nonsense and the <laughs> the pro yeah. the prohibition on you know weapons as opposed to firearms, which was you know which would have resulted in uh, you'd be committing a crime if you uh, if you were were a guy going to, a plumber going to fix the courthouse bathroom because you were bringing wrenches and 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 uh, other tools that would that are that would be weapons under New Jersey law. You know so much of that happened just through conversation. Um, and so, and so, you don't always have to run into court. Now, it helps that you're willing to and able to run into court, right? It's no accident that these conversations happened after we filed our motion to reopen the case and after we filed papers in court laying out what our claims were, you were got going their to attention. look like. You got their right. attention, right? Yeah, and, and, and there's always there, there is frequently a the backdrop of potential litigation that informs the conversation but so much happens without actually being in court so much happens just talking and trying to um trying to uh, negotiate uh, uh fixes and results without litigation that people just don't see you know they, they, it's, it's not public it happens um and we get so much done that way and, it, and this is really a good and I'm going to remind I'm going to remind your listeners. I'm sure they're I'm sure they haven't forgotten about this, but um, what we were able to accomplish with the state uh, on the serial number law, uh, uh-huh. you know, again we we that that was accomplished through similar types of of conversations um, and negotiations with the state, getting them to fix the serial number law, which was which had horrific horrific you know uh, implications um, uh, in terms of its, its its effect on millions of people, and so again. We didn't. We did. That didn't require a litigation. Now, again, in, the, in terms of the backdrop, we could have litigated over it, but we didn't have to. And so, th- it's a really important lesson when people, you know, this is one of the. This is, this is aggravating when I see this, um, whether it's social media or whether it's people publishing articles and things like that. You know, some people like to complain. Well, why aren't we suing over X? Why aren't we suing over Y? Why aren't we suing over Z? And, and one of the reasons is because not everything happens in a courtroom and so this is an example of that we're you know we're really happy that this this worked out i agree with you uh um let's talk about real quick uh i just want to mention my director of training tony arena he was also instrumental uh with me in, in talking with you and scott to uh 
Dan with the yeah, whole, Tony's uh, the best. Train. Yeah, so it was it, you know it, I went to him and I said I just got a phone call from Dan and Scott and they need some input and like we sat down, boom, 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 he knocked it all out and it was on the money. Uh, so Dan, let's let's talk real quick about. Uh, do you foresee the training changing again with our carry case that starts October 25th? Talk to me about that because this is another concern. People are emailing me. I know it's changed 12 times since it, it you know, since we got carry. If I qualify now, what's the guarantee it's not going to change again? What, what's your feeling? Well, see, that, that's actually a really good. Uh, I'm glad you asked that question uh, because one of the things I'm seeing some people say. Is, I understand people speak, you know, uh, um, in rhetoric and, and, and exaggeration, but, uh, um, you know, oh, the training's changing, you know, every every month, every two months, the training is changing, you know, it's over and over again, what are we supposed to do? It, it, that's just not true, right? Uh, the, the training, the training was established once in July, right? Because prior to yeah. that, prior to that, people were doing whatever they were doing, right? They were, they, there was no uniform protocol uh i mean if think about the pre-bruin world the pre-bruin world when you had you know a very very uh a tiny number of uh of applications and permits there was you there was still there still had to be uh training of some sort right you, you still the law still required that a person be thoroughly familiar with the uh, safe handling of of, uh, of of handguns but um and so the qualification so-called qualification um there was it was not a uniform standard but it still existed okay and um prior to the uh, carry killer law being passed that we're litigating over in seagull um it was still very much like that you know the trainers like you and others who had been qualifying people for permits pre-brew and were still had a still had a protocol that they used that that seemed reasonably successful and seemed acceptable to police agencies and per you know per- permits were, were uh, issued based upon those protocols then in july there was an actual standard an actual uniform standard that was uh that was released okay so that's change number one one change happened in july okay we objected we pushed back we had a conversation when we negotiated a change so now we have change number two so it's not like it's changing every two months it's changed twice once, once the state imposed a requirement, we objected to it, pushed back on it, and so they they changed it to something that we found vastly more acceptable. So I, I, I do want I do want people to realize that it's not changing every five minutes. No, but they also it, don't it, forget we also had the judge issued permits early on too, which created another dynamic. You know, it's another path as well. It's just it's well, just but, confusing well, and overwhelming for a lot of well, people. Right, that's but, all. But, it is, and I and I and I understand that it is confusing. But I I, I, I I I'm asking people to not to roll back the rhetoric that Never you know, things happen. are things. Well, things that things are changing over and over again. Yeah. There are really only now. Obviously, obviously, in litigation, you know things. The, the, the things are in flux because we obtain temporary restraining orders, we obtain preliminary injunctions, there's a stay pending appeal that the Third Circuit issued, and of course there's going to be a ruling at the Third Circuit. There's nothing you can do about that, right? I mean, that that's just the nature of litigation. You know, the, the state does something, we push back, we obtain some relief in court, we obtain more relief in court, the, the, on appeal something happens to it temporarily. So that's just the nature of litigation. But you know, what I don't what I don't want people to 
to make the mistake of is to think, oh, the state is just you know changing things left and right. They're just constantly they're constantly uh, uh, you know moving the goalposts. That's just not what's happening. You know, uh, this is not materially different than other contested matters. The only difference, and this is you know, I mean, this is a this is a good problem to have. What people are actually experiencing, which makes it hard for people to know what to do is that we're, we're actually having success in court. That's what's actually making this, uh, uh, that's what, that's, what's actually contributing to the uncertainty. Mm-hmm, people aren't mm-hmm. used to that in New Jersey. And, and, and I, and I understand that because, you know, I'll, I'm one of the guys in court, uh, being frustrated when we don't get relief from, from courts on, on, on these second amendment cases. Um, you know, we're used to going into court and not winning. Uh, and suddenly when we're winning, people don't know what to do because winning means that the rules change in our favor. You know, and when you can, sure. when you get a temporary straining order, that's a win. You know, it's a temporary win, but it's a win. And so the rules change favorably. Then when you get a preliminary injunction, especially if that preliminary injunction um, uh, uh, increases the amount of relief and the type of relief that we get, and this one did in C- Coons and Siegel, um, you know, we got a TRO. I mean, this is what's interesting. And, and again, it's the nature of litigation. I mean, let's remember the timeline of Coons and Siegel, right? The Coons case went first. They got a TRO. We then went second. We got a larger TRO. So you got relief from in the Coons case. And then in our TRO, we got even more relief. Yep. Then the preliminary injunction, and we got even more relief. Right. So, so we're so it's frustrating because the rules keep changing as we keep winning. It's a good problem to have. So I, I, I just want your listeners to keep that in mind and recognize that. The, the, the state of flux is the result of winning. And that's true here, too, by the way. I mean, this is a win. It's not a, you know, it's not the kind of win that you get from a judge. But but when you have a successful negotiation, that's a win. And so, it's, so I would like to have the problem of continuing to win repeatedly so that we push them back farther and farther and farther you know i mean like like in a football game things keep changing in a football game too as you advance down towards it towards the end zone so you know nobody's going to complain that well where's the ball i don't understand it keeps moving yeah it keeps moving towards the end zone so that's what we're doing so you know i I, i'm never going to complain that the that the, the 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 ball keeps moving down towards uh scoring you know so, so I, I, I just want to put that in perspective because I know this frustration uh, at people not trying to understand what the rules are as as we um, are successful in advancing the ball. Gotcha. Let's hold it there. I'm going to do some housekeeping, and then I'm going to we'll kind of come back and we're going to talk about all our cases. Okay. Good idea. Thank you for your efforts across the board. So our first plug today is the law firm of Hartman Winicky in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Um, I talked to Joe Stepienza, West Essex Jewelers yesterday, Don DeCase, a few other people are going to be using your services. It's called Support Those Who Support You, ladies and gentlemen. So that's Dan Schmutter's law firm. If you live in New York, N-Y-T-A-C-D-E-F-E-N-S-E.com, New York Tax Defense, not only is Peter Tillum offering a legal defense fund, he is also one of the preeminent attorneys focusing on firearms in the state of New York. So, And if you mention gun for hire, one word, you get 15% off your monthly membership. So NYTAC Defense. 
Also, U.S. Law Shield, uslawshield.com. Use gun for hire as a code word. That is your legal defense fund in 49 other states. We will be doing a NAPIN seminar here in November, I believe, at the gun for hire range. Uh, Decoding Firearms by John Petrolino is available everywhere, including the pro shop here. I just talked about StandStrong.biz, and it's very important that you support those who support you. Uh, my doctor, Optimal Health Wellness NJ, OptimalHealthWellnessNJ.com, concierge medicine for a few hundred bucks a month. No more going to stinky doctor's offices. If you're in a Carteret area, anywhere in uh, North Central Jersey, Lake Island Rifle and Pistol Club in Carteret is looking for junior rifle members 12 to 18 years old, lakeis.org. Zen Float Center in Scotch Plains, check out zenfloatcenter.com. If you're in Monmouth County, stop by Aberdeen Guns and tell John Anthony said hello. My book and decoding firearms is also available there. Uh, the New Jersey chapter of the Friends of NRA Dinner still has tickets left. Friendsofnra.org, October 5th. We just donated a built AR-15. I am the uh, keynote speaker there. Jay Factor is going to be talking about some two-way history there as well. Support those who support you. Another great news source is news number 2 letter acom News2A.com. Check out Grant and uh, company out there and let me know what you think. Of course, our Varsity Firearms podcast with John Valenti is another one. And uh, this Tuesday is the Guns and Bagel event with uh, for Assemblyman Robert Auth. There are still some tickets left. You can also donate. Just go to gunforhire.com forward slash Auth, A-U-T-H, an extreme 2A fighter fighting for our rights. So, Dan, the Duncan case in New York, we got a ruling from St. Benitez yesterday, Judge Benitez. They have a 10-round mag case that's very similar to ours. Anthony talks about this ad nauseum on Gun for Hire Radio all the time about all of these cases that are bubbling through the system right now. Our assault weapons case, our 10-round mag case, our carry case, and the Bonta v. Benitez case. So Judge Benitez, first quote, Dan, removable firearms magazines of all sizes are necessary components of semiotic firearms. Therefore, magazines come within the text of the Constitutional Declaration that the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Because millions of removable magazines are able to hold between 10, 30 rounds, are commonly owned by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes, including self-defense, and because they are reasonably related to service and militia, the magazines are presumptively within the protection of the Second Amendment. There is no American history or tradition of regulating firearms based on the number of rounds they can shoot or of regulating the amount of ammunition that can be kept and carried. The best analog that can be drawn from historical gun laws are that early militia equipment regulations that required all able-bodied citizens to equip themselves with a gun and a minimum amount of ammunition in excess of 10 rounds. That's his first paragraph. How do you feel about that? Because Dan hasn't read this yet. He's been traveling all night. Yeah, this, this, is, um, this is something we've talked about. Um, there, you know, Duncan was a very important case that we that we have all been waiting for, um, and having a favorable result uh, in the Duncan case in California is great. You know, rem- I want to remind your listeners that there are a number of cases all over the country 
um, all dealing with the same basic issues, and they're all in different procedural postures, uh, all moving forward. Uh, Duncan was a very important case that we've been waiting for, and we're very pleased to see that Judge Benitez came out the right way. Uh, Judge Benitez had another case called Miller. Um, mm-hmm. There are cases in Illinois. There are cases in Oregon. There are cases. Hawaii. In, there's the Bianchi Hawaii. There's the Bianchi case in the Fourth Circuit. Uh, Merritt's Maryland case. Uh, there's Delaware. So there are a lot of cases all heading in the same basic direction. Uh, they are magazine cases. They are uh, uh, so-called assault weapon cases. Um, and of course, we have our two cases that... Uh, but Dan, before you get into our two cases, yeah. before you get into yeah. our two cases, I have a mic drop from Judge Benitez. I just want everybody to hear this last sure, paragraph. Sure. You ready? One government solution to a few madmen with guns is a law that makes into criminals responsible, law-abiding people wanting larger magazines simply to protect themselves. The history and tradition of the Second Amendment clearly supports state laws against the use or misuse of firearms with unlawful intent, but not the disarmament of the law-abiding citizen. That kind of solution is an infringement on the constitutional right of citizens to keep and bear arms. The adoption of the Second Amendment was a freedom calculus decided long ago by our first citizens who cherished individual freedom with its risks more than the subservient security of a British ruler or the smothering safety of domestic lawmakers. The freedom they fought was for was worth fighting for then and that freedom is entitled to be be preserved still boom yeah it's it's, it's, like? it's great it's great it's great uh, stuff uh, uh, it's great stuff you know you can you can uh, you know benitez this the, duncan is actually on remand uh, one of the yeah. cases that was on on remand from uh, from the supreme court along with ours along with bianchi the, you know you may recall that our magazine case was on a petition with the supreme court when uh, when uh, Bruin came down, and so yep. a, a number of cases, including our magazine case, including several of these other cases, all came back down to the lower courts to be decided. So Duncan's one of those cases that we've been waiting very, uh, very patiently for. So it's you know, every time there is a good result somewhere else, it helps our effort here in New Jersey. Um, and so it's yeah, it's very very nice to see, um, and. Uh, and this is this is you know this is what um, some of your listeners may have heard the the word uh, percolation or percolate. Um, one of the you know because people are sometimes frustrated. Well, why doesn't the Supreme Court decide this already and, and be done with it? You know, it's like why doesn't this go straight to the Supreme Court? And the reason is uh, because this you know one of the important aspects of these kinds of procedures is that the Supreme Court wants to see what's called percolation in the lower courts. The Supreme Court wants to see. Uh, a, a lot. Uh, he wants to see these issues make their way through different courts to see what different judges and different courts uh, how they handle them. The more, the, sort of, the more the merrier in a sense. To, by seeing how different courts handle it, it helps the Supreme Court understand all the different ways of looking at these issues. Indeed. And so, you know, there, there, some of these cases have had very bad results. Uh, you know, things did not go well uh, in Oregon, for example. Uh, the Delaware, the Delaware case is up at the Third Circuit now on a loss, but now here's a win in California with uh, with the Duncan case. So, so the more we see these cases come out our way, the the more the Supreme Court and also intermediate appellate courts like the Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit that we contend with or that we have that we that we are we're before, the more they can see 
how to understand this stuff in a way that uh, vindicates the constitutional right. So, um, and Judge Benitez is, writes wonderfully, as you just as you just noted. Um, reading his <laughs> opinions is a pleasure. Um, I was able to skim through, you know, just as, as your listeners know, we record this, we record this uh, before, before the, the show is released. And so, I, uh, you know, I have to go through it in, in detail, but, uh, but uh, it's, you know, the, these things are really great wins uh, when we, when we get them and they all contribute to the, the, to the, to the overall result. They all contribute to getting, uh, uh, to success at the Supreme Court and in future cases. So this is great stuff. So talk about our two cases now. Our ca- well, talk well talk about all three. Just if you could just touch on what what do you what's going to happen with our carry case now, October twenty fifth. What 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 happens there? And then talk about our mag case and our AR case. Inquiring minds want to know, Dan. So the uh, so the the uh, the carry case. Um, is scheduled for oral argument at the Third Circuit. Um, the so your, your listeners may recall that uh, Judge Bum ruled uh, in the district court on uh, some of the issues. Now remember, some of the issues were presented to the court um, in her application to the, for a preliminary injunction. Some were not. Um, she decided some of the issues, and some of the issues she did not decide. Uh, and on the issues that she decided, some went our way and some did not. Um, and so the initial appeal was brought by the state, uh, and we cross-appealed on a few things. And uh, so on October 25th, it will be uh, orally argued at the court. Um, the the We will have an opportunity to sort of flesh out our arguments. I mean, look, most of the argument is taking place on paper. Um, there's a lot of briefing. Uh, there are. Um, uh, we went back and forth because of the cross appeal. We went back back and forth multiple times, and don't forget, there's there's not just the the um, the state uh, um, parties, but there's also the the interveners, the the uh, the uh, uh, legislatures. Uh, so they've oh, got yeah. briefing. Uh, then there's the Coons. The Coons parties have their briefs. We have our briefs in the Siegel portion of the case, and then there's all kinds of amicus curiae briefs, which, you know, your listeners uh, may recall, amicus curiae means friend of the court. And these are non-parties that want to have their say and contribute to the conversation. And so there are amicus curiae briefs, um, which various non-parties have submitted to offer the court uh, uh, information or arguments that they think are are important for the court to consider. So there's a lot, the record is quite substantial, a lot of briefing for the court to read. Now, at oral argument, you know, judges will often have questions about about the arguments sometimes uh, the judges will probe a position and ask you know well what if what about this what about this what about this just to see uh what the implications of an argument actually are you know you say you say well the, the law works this way well what about this scenario well, what would the result be if uh, things were were different if the facts were different how would the court rule there what would this rule mean for for that kind of situation um you know what about this uh you know historical law you know why why isn't this a valid uh analog you know things things like that so the court the the judges will have an opportunity to to sort of probe and test and poke and prod um and uh you know and then and then we'll you know we'll then we'll see what happens the you know courts take their time typically to decide these things um in fact we still haven't heard 
about the you know, the New York cases were argued quite a few months ago. They're dragging uh, their feet, the Second Circuit, uh, huh? Yeah, as your listeners know, the, <clears throat> there's very similar parallel litigation going on in New York. In fact, the New York the New York uh, cases are, are ahead of us because their law was passed immediately after Bruin uh, in July. Uh, ours was not passed until December, so they're way ahead of us uh, in terms of the timeline. They argued their appeals at the Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, because the New York is, is within the Second Circuit. We're, we're in the Third Circuit, um, and they don't have a ruling yet. So you know, things can take, things can take time. I, there's no way to predict when the Third Circuit will rule in our case. Um, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, but we'll see. You know, we'll see how that goes. So, what are you thinking? Uh, what's what's the dates for our ten round mag and our AR case? When when does that start? So br- briefing. So we're 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 done with discovery. Just as as your listeners may recall, discovery is simply the exchange of information. Um, you know, depositions were taken. Uh, written questions called interrogatories were exchanged. So you basically, you basically have an opportunity to find out as much as you can about the other side's position. Um, in this case, discovery was uh, mostly in, in the context of experts, um, and these cases are kind of these cases are kind of strange in, 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 with respect to experts because um, experts don't generally have much to say about about these, this topic. Um, and so, you know, we, we have objected to, let me, let me roll this back a, a little bit, just to give a little bit of background explanation. So your listeners, uh, you know, fully appreciate why the state is so, um, why the state, not just New Jersey, all, all, all of the, the states that are, that are litigating over these issues, why they're so eager uh, to have experts testify in these cases and why experts are typically not appropriate in these kinds of cases. It, remember, with one of the big takeaways, one of the huge, huge takeaways from Bruin is, that, is, the, is a reminder that Heller and the Second Amendment do not allow interest balancing as a means to determine whether a law restricting the right to keep mayor arms is constitutional. You know, mm-hmm. the what the what courts were doing after Heller and before Bruin were they were basically just deciding, well, you know, is this is this law a good idea? You know, and if they were favorable to the state's position uh, and not particularly sympathetic to the right to keep bare arms, they were upholding these laws because what the state would do is they would they would make a, a, a record uh, of you know uh, of crime, they would basically just show how much crime is committed. Um, they would talk about mass shootings. They would talk about street crime. They would talk about gang crime, and they would just say, you know, see, see judge, guns are bad, horrible, 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 horrible. They would talk about the blood in the streets, and they would and they would convince these courts that they ought to uphold these laws. And and Heller, from the very beginning, Heller said that's not the way you look at these constitutional rights. The Second Amendment itself provided the interest balancing um, in our Constitution. When the Second Amendment was adopted, the the decision was made that the fundamental right to keep and bear arms was critically important and that you don't get to just say, well, you know, we think it's icky and dangerous, uh, uh, and so therefore we're going to prevent people from exercising that right. There, You don't get to then, after the Second Amendment is, is adopted and is the law of the land, get to say, well, you know, we just think bad guys are going to do bad things with these things, so law-abiding people don't get to defend themselves with arms. That's just not how it works. And so... Um, 
ever since interest balancing and so and so we had you know we had years of interest balancing notwithstanding the fact that heller said you can't do that right mm-hmm. so when bruin came down the supreme court said no we really mean it no interest balancing you have to it is it is an historical inquiry you simply look to see what the right to keep and bear arms was understood to be at the time it was adopted or the time the second amendment was adopted and yep. you do that you just you you figure out what was the right and there and then you apply that right you don't get to say 200 years later that we think it's yucky that we think we don't like guns and therefore law abiding people don't get to use them or don't get to have them and so what the states are trying to do, and particularly New Jersey, is they're trying to reintroduce interest balancing by throwing lots of expert witnesses at the court. And what a lot of these experts are saying is mass shootings, you know, and and they're, they're, they're trying to they're still trying to uh, argue that uh, guns are bad, even though the Supreme Court now has three times said, no, you can't do that. So that that's that's what we're contending with in the magazine case and in the assault firearm case is pu- is pushing back on the state's effort to to backdoor this interest balancing by just scaring the you know what out of the courts that's literally what they're doing they're just trying to scare the crap out of the courts and just get them to just just feel uncomfortable about uh, about arms and about guns and it's a it's you know it is it is not a a proper approach uh, but it's all they've got all they've got is fear all they've got is you know just to just to pour as much blood on the record as they possibly can just to frighten the judges and you know judges are human and so the state the states feel and particularly new jersey new, new jersey has put nine expert witnesses in you know um which is just a, just a, a, a an absurd number of experts uh, in a lawsuit um and they're they're just piling on the fear just piling it on to because it's all they've really got they don't have the historical record i mean you you know your listeners will remember um from the coons and siegel cases that the the district court the district judge was really uh, uh, when you read the preliminary injunction opinion, was really unhappy with the state. But the state had promised uh, all kinds of historical, uh, a whole historical record that never materialized in the state's papers. Judge Bump's so still waiting is, for it. Yeah, the judge said, you know, you, you promised all kinds of stuff, and you didn't, you didn't deliver. So we did the research ourselves, and we didn't find anything. You know, there's no, there's the, we, we found that it doesn't support doesn't support the state's position in in, in most instances. Um, and, and that's and that's what they're doing. And so that this is where we are in the in the magazine and uh, and assault firearm cases. Um, uh, we're we are now uh, in the process of preparing uh, motions for summary judgment, which are uh, basically uh, uh, arguments to the court that there's no need for a trial. There are no factual issues that require a trial. The judge can decide this on the law and on a paper record, a you know, briefing. And so briefing in, in, in the magazine and assault firearm cases will take place between October and December. There's a lot of papers going back and forth between October and December. And then the court will presumably schedule oral argument. We don't know when. Uh, that's not on the calendar yet. Uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. 
um, will get to argue the, the the motions, and then the the court will make a decision. And again, we don't know when when the you know the, when the judge is going to do that. But that's that's where we are now. So briefing will be between October and December. Uh, there'll be a lot of briefs going back and forth, and uh, and then we'll argue the case and we'll see what happens. The cases and we'll see what happens. Do you think it's inevitable? Uh, I know this is not your wheelhouse, but you think it's inevitable that the Supreme Court is going to step in? and uh, chastise the Second Circuit because those cases have been dragging on since March and the Second Circuit hasn't said peep since March. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And you're obviously alluding to the concurring opinion from Justice uh, Alito. Alito, yes. Back in, uh, back when, uh, so, so let me give, let me remind your listeners about the procedural posture of what you're, what you're talking about. So back when the uh, appeal in the second circuit of the New York cases was filed, uh, like New Jersey, in the third circuit, there was a stay pending appeal granted by the second circuit, although the, the stay pending appeal in the second circuit cases was actually worse. It was much broader. Um, uh, the, our stay pending appeal is not as broad. But but what happened was, the, so the, the plaintiffs in New York prevailed. They got very good relief from their district judges, and when the state appealed, they asked for a stay pending appeal for the for the for the Second Circuit to put the rulings on hold, put those injunctions on hold while the appeal was 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 going forward. And what yeah. one of the parties did was went to the Supreme Court to to challenge that stay pending appeal, arguing why should there there should not be these rulings should not be put on hold while we're appealing. And typically the Supreme Court does not get involved in those situations. It's very unusual for the Supreme Court to step in in the middle of the process and micromanage what the Court of Appeals is doing. And in this particular case, that's that was consistent. So the, so the Supreme Court denied the request to interfere with what the Second Circuit had done and did not interfere with the state pending appeal. But there was a very interesting but, concurring opinion yep. by Justice Alito. Mm-hmm. Justice Alito said something along the lines of, well, you know, we've denied the request to vacate the state pending appeal. And presumably the court has done this because we don't want to interfere with the Second Circuit's process. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, if the Second Circuit kind of drags its feet and strings you along, feel free to come back to us again in the future. Basically, you know, and what most people interpreted that to mean was, look, we have our eye on you. Don't screw around. You know, it's like we're not we're going to let you do it your way because that's kind of the right thing to do, right? Courts have to manage their own procedures, and it's it's you know it's 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 not typical that that higher courts will interfere with those processes. You know, you got to let the court do it the way they do it, as long as it's within you know within reason and appropriate. Um, but you know, kind of. We're, we're watching you, you know, and, and so uh, and so you know, come back to see us if, if there's a problem now. So, you know, it's been quite a while. Um, I'm not aware Too that anybody's applied applied to the Supreme Court uh, to to you know for to make any new applications to vacate the stay, but it, it's it, it's a, it's a it's a valid question that you raise. You know, it, what does the Supreme Court think about the time that it's taking for the Second Circuit to rule? Um, it's you know it's it's been real quiet. So uh, you know we'll see. We, you know who, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of timing. We don't know. You know, there's a lot of rulings that we're waiting for. We're waiting for the Fourth Circuit to rule on. Uh, on, B- on Bianchi, for example, which is the Maryland uh, case. So, so 
timing timing is very important and, and how long it takes for courts to rule on these things matters um and so you, you raise a very valid question what's happening over at the second circuit what does the supreme court think of this you know are they you know how closely are they paying attention to this stuff like supreme court's very busy this is not the only issue that they have by by a long shot supreme court deals with tons and tons of issues a lot of cases but you know this is something that they they clearly are paying attention to because at least justice alito is paying attention to uh as far as we can tell because you know these things do matter so uh we'll, we'll see what happens there's no you know there's no way to predict this stuff i long ago i think i've said this many times long ago i, I gave up trying to predict what judges are going to do you know so i just wish we would get an answer from i'd love to see the second circuit come down in a little terror uh, uh, the Supreme Court reign a little terror on the Second Circuit. I'd like to see that, to be honest. This, this, look, all of this stuff is eventually going to get there. I mean, this, uh, you know, th- this is clearly an issue that matters to the the court. Um, uh, you know, as as we've said, if you look at the landscape of these various issues, there are all sorts of of cases making their way in that direction. We talked about Duncan, we talked about Bianchi, we talked about our cases on magazines and assault weapons. We talked about Oregon, we talked about Illinois, we talked about Delaware. You know, so there's a lot of stuff heading in that direction. Same thing with the carry cases. The Second Circuit is first in line. They're already, you know, the, the New York cases are first in line. Um, you know, Third Circuit in New Jersey. Uh, well, you know, but there's also Maryland that's coming down the pike. There's litigation in Maryland over Maryland's carry law. There's Hawaii. So, so there, the, the stuff accumulates it and the word percolate is a great word because it really does describe the process you know everything's kind of moving around in the different in the different uh in the different courts and so this stuff is all heading headlong towards the supreme court which case gets there who knows when it gets there who knows what's the court going to do who knows but it's all moving in that direction and the effort is a broad effort that gets gets us to where hopefully we need to be you know dan uh, a quick uh, quote Mark Cheeseman on the uh, Firearm Syndicate page posted something. He's like, all of this bitching about the training requirements and everything, when everybody should be looking at the big picture, we have Carrie in New Jersey. Amen. I'm paraphrasing him, <laughs> exactly, you know, right. but he's like, we have, we finally have carry in New Jersey. Yes, there's a lot of sensitive places. It's in court. Yes, there's the training has changed twice. And then, you know, we had judges permits and every municipality and county is handling it different and the state police barracks. It's new. It's in its infancy. Everybody thought we would never going to get it. So, so Mark, his frustration level brewed over and he just posted something like that. And again, I read it over the weekend. I was in Florida. I should have cut and pasted it, but I was on my iPad and I didn't do it. But it's the truth. Everybody listening, don't get beat down. We have carry. We finally got carry. We have our foot in the door. It's wide open right now. You hear what Dan said, all of these changes. We're, I mean, look at this. We have David Jensen. We have Dan Schmutter. We have uh, Paul Clement now. We have Scott Bach. We have Evan Knappen. We have the NRA, ANGRPC, CNJFO. Uh, NJ2AS is involved in cases. FPC yep. is involved right. in cases. I mean, everybody, and, and and Dan just Dan just gave a, a list of all of these cases that are going on throughout the entire country right now. And the biggest thing is, forget Heller, forget McDonald, forget Catano. We have Bruin behind us now. 
and everybody's looking for that head, uh, you know, uh, original text history and tradition and everything. We have those decisions behind us now, yep. and and that just strengthens our cause. And Dan, with that, Dan Dan Schmutter from Hartman Winnicky in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Dan, I'm going to let you close the show and hand it off to Sandy. Anything you want to tell the people out there who feel downtrodden or beat up or whatever? And thank you for everything you do. Yeah, I just have two final words. Yes, we're winning. <laughs> We're Good man. Winning. We're winning. Okay. Absolutely right. Sandy, well, take it away. It looks like you've done it again. You've wasted yet another perfectly good hour listening to Gun for Hire Radio. Gun for Hire Radio is a Canadian media production. The music news in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. On behalf of our show host, Master Trainer Anthony Calandro, author of Crime Proof, Think Like a Criminal, mm. and Beat Them at Their Own Game, which he forgot to mention again this week. He's slow, slow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is available wherever great books are sold and at the Gun Shop Bookshop Gun Range, known as Gun for Hire. Dan, thank you so much for everything you do, and yes. I mean that from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of my feet, if I could do that. Uh, thanks for being with us and taking the time to do everything. Um, God willing, Jesus tarries and the batteries hold out from the shadows of the New York City skyline, the beautiful Gulf Shores in Alabama, and the face of the sun. We love you guys. See you next week. <laughs>